0: One of my favorite uh, books in the Old Testament, I've taught through this oh several years ago here at Lion and Lamb, is the book of Daniel, 12 chapters long, life-affirming, life-changing to be sure. In part, it not only has huge uh, prophetic elements that talk about things that have already occurred and many things that have not yet occurred, but it's also part biography. So part of this book tells the story of four young Jewish boys who are taken captive out of Jerusalem or that environment when they're young, probably around 605 B.C., one of the early deportations from the Babylonians, and then they're transported to the city of Babylon. So probably impossible for us to put ourselves in their shoes, but Jews already know they're different from the rest of the world. They live in covenant with Yahweh. That covenant relationship says we do some things this way, we do other things that way. And they know they are going to a place, a culture that not only speaks a different language, worships a bunch of foreign gods, sees life very differently. And so they know as they go there, they're going to be challenged about how do we live faithfully in covenant faithfulness with Yahweh, the living and true God, in the midst of Babylon? How, how is that going to happen? We're going to face temptations. It's a given and we know it. So how do we steal our minds? What do we do? How do we prepare for that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 is a key verse in the whole book, and it says this, thinking about we're facing temptations. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he and his friends, they're going to have special treatment. They're, they're among the elite out of uh, Judea, and they're smart. They're sharp. They're going to be trained. They're going give, to be given special diet from the king's own table. But the Babylonian diet wouldn't be kosher. It would go against the covenant God was in, Daniel was in with God. So it says, he resolved, knowing the temptations ahead, before it has occurred, because the story follows, this is what comes up. But he'd already resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. So I know temptations are coming, and this is a principle. This isn't just what Daniel did, right? This is a principle for us. Proverbs talks about this also. There's a proverb that says the wise man sees trouble coming on the road and he gets out of the way. Daniel knew temptations were coming and so he had already resolved before the temptations arrived how he would respond. I personally believe that the relatively friendly nature of this nation towards Christianity is gone, is a thing of the past. And that like Daniel and his friends, we need to see ourselves as aliens in a foreign culture opposed to faith in the living and true God. This is my supposition. And if you disagree with the supposition, that's okay. I think the points that we make will still be applicable. But but what I want to suggest this morning is that life has pivoted, culture has changed, And like Daniel and his friends in Babylon, the culture that we are in is not inherently friendly to our faith or the Bible or our God predominantly any longer. Larry did a series this past summer called Postcards from Babylon, and it was on this theme. Forget America or American history for just a moment. Christians, just like the Jews, Christians have always lived in exile in the sense that we're told We are citizens of heaven, and so we have a temporary place on earth, but we could be Americans, we could live in South America, Russia, you name it. All of us are Christians. Heaven is really our home, so everything here is tentative, and it's only temporary, but I think the relationship that Christians have sort of assumed because of our cultural past and there had been some form of homogeneity as far as everybody sort of buys into some of the same thoughts, some of the same morals I think, I hope you know that that has ended significantly. Uh, let me give you some examples. And um, Yeah. Uh, during the early days of COVID closures, the elders at this church met multiple times over weeks and months to determine what this church's response would be to governmental mandates. How would we respond as a church to the mandates that were being brought down upon us as a church? Like most other groups and churches, and if you were here during that time, you know this is two years ago, March and April of 2020, when COVID came out, and everybody's a question mark, right? Don't don't know what this looks like health-wise, not sure how all this gets worked out. So Lion Lamb was glad, like most churches and most entities, I think, to temporarily shutter. We didn't meet for about five weeks or so. We started streaming online and that time, but we didn't, we didn't meet because out of an abundance of caution, we wanted to love our neighbors, we wanted to be good to this, the authorities God had placed over us, all the right things, I think, for all the right reasons. But as the weeks went by, we noticed what many others noticed, that there were privileged groups who were free to meet, and unprivileged groups like churches that were not. In Kansas and elsewhere, it was clear that churches were being treated unequally under the law. And that while casinos, grocery stores and big box stores were essential, the freedom to worship God in person as a church family was not. When this started, uh, I contacted Alliance Defending Freedom is a, is a Christian legal group that Lionel Am supports. We're members of their network. And I called them to see about filing a lawsuit against the state of Kansas for unequal treatment under the law. Spoke to a nice guy, I think out of Phoenix, Arizona. He said, we've already got the lawsuits already filed. We're filing it already. Two other churches have contacted us. We're already filing this because it was clear it was illegal on the face of it. It was unequal treatment under the law. While the double standards of governmental mandates became obvious, how to respond as a church from within our own group was not. We went back and forth as a group on the issue of authority, Uh, authorities that the church lives within are saying do this or don't do that so how do we respond to those authorities the dilemma included concerns over people's health that's where we started that was the thing with everybody right how does this shake out for people who's affected how severely etc but the overarching issue became this to what degree and in what ways are we called by God's word to obey the civil authorities as they made mandates of the church? So the authorities are there. We understand scripture speaks clearly to some of these things. What does this look like in, in this new world that's just evolved? To what degree and in what circumstances should civil governments be able to determine how a church is run, what it does and how it does it, when it meets, and how many may be in attendance? We found ourselves a bit like churches in the Soviet Union back in the day, officially legal, but effectively illegal. We're in the book of Acts again this morning, and we're going to look at an issue the early church faced almost immediately and repeatedly. We're starting with this, when must we not comply with authorities? And then further, when are we free to comply or not with the authorities God has placed over us. So, should government schools and staff be able to act as the authority over children in regard to pregnancy, birth control, abortion, gender expression, and their general health? Because they are. They are now. They are effectively across the country. This is going on now. When can government legitimately constrain speech, either in forbidding or requiring certain communications or messaging, so on and on, Uh, Speaking against certain lifestyles is illegal in Canada, whether you're a church proclaiming the Bible or not. We've used passages in Acts so far, select passages, to do two things, either to speak to particularly important, significant theological issues, one, or two, to speak to issues from the early church recorded in Acts to things that are particularly timely for us, things that speak particularly to the time, the occasion, the situation we find ourselves in today. Today's message, and God willing, next week's is the second. Uh, let me say several things up front before we get started. I'm going to use text out of Acts, Acts 4 and 5. I hope you have a study sheet, by the way. Out of Acts 4 and 5 as a springboard. So this is what I usually don't do. We want to study passages in their context what has God said what's the big picture so this is topical it's coming from Acts Acts 4 and 5 but it is topical so I'm just telling you that ahead of time Uh, the topic is so big that though I hope to do this in one week I found there was no way to do that so Lord willing again I'll speak on this again next week Uh, we'll cover just a very a couple foundational issues this week the views you are about to hear are my own so if you've got a problem with what I say, talk to Mike. Uh, no one, The other elders may or may not think I represent the church broadly here. Uh, I've appreciated and would recommend to you a recent book. It just came out by Jesse Johnson. It's entitled City of Man, Kingdom of God, Why Christians Respect, Obey, and Resist Government. Uh, this is a book I appreciated. He raised issues that I'd not read, at least treated in this manner before. And so even if you didn't agree with all of his conclusions, I think you'd agree that it's a thought-provoking treatment of this whole notion of authority and how Christians respond. He's specifically addressing government, and that's, I think, going to be front and center for many of us in coming years. But the principles apply broadly, and we'll apply principles broadly today and again next week. I gave a three-message series on the same topic in 2018 called Authority and Submission. You can listen to more on that. A part of most of what we talk about today and next week will actually go beyond what we talked about in 2018. My hope this morning is not that we provide a definitive or all defining treatment of the Christian's necessary or wise submission to the authorities God has placed above us but rather some big rock guidelines, some ways of looking at situations we're either in or we may face in the future with some big rock guidelines, some ways of refining what should or what can my response be in this situation. This is information dense, Um, so I'll I'll check your eyelids as we go through, okay? I'll yell or something. Uh, Also, I wanna say, uh, generally, what we're talking about this morning are exceptions to the rule. When you read through government, I think it's Ecclesiastes, bad government is better than no government, scripture says. And that even if there's graft and corruption in government, some government still allows citizens to, to live and to go about their business. So government, we start by understanding government is usually a good thing. Government has been given by God. Authority structures have been given by God to bless. We'll actually talk about the reasons, God's reasons for authorities. We'll talk more about next week. We're just sort of laying some groundwork now on relational elements related to authority structures. If you have your study sheet, I'm just going to tell you that points uh, 1 and 2, Roman numeral 1 and 2, I'm going to go over very quickly. I just want to state them, but they're understood to undergird everything else we talk about. So I'm not going to define them. If these are not um, concepts you already are familiar with and have bought into, then I would encourage you to look up the scriptural references when you go home. So first, all authority is God's. Guys, before God, there is nothing and there is no one. He's the creator of all that exists. Scripture makes this clear. So before God, there's nothing and no one. So everything that exists that's not God has existence in life from God, derives its authority, derives its power, its essence, its existence from God. God is the power above every power. He's the authority behind every authority. So every authority other than God is a sub-authority. It has limited authority, in other words. Every authority that's not God operates within a limited sphere because God's ordained every authority. He is the authority and the power behind every authority and power. All other authority is derived or delegated by God. Additionally, God says that he is sovereignly at work even through disobedient, rebellion, rebellious people like we are or like we... Were and we talked about this before in Acts two, you remember when Peter proclaimed to the Pentecost Day crowd, he said, "Man did his worst, and God was using man's worst to bring about salvation." You remember Peter said to the Jews, "You and your leaders crucified the Prince of Life. You did this, but that was still God's sovereign, benevolent will—the means by which He was bringing about salvation." So we all also understand that even when angels or men or women are acting contrary to god's expressed will doing their own willful damage their will still will ultimately accomplish as god's perfect sovereign will and purposes scripture is clear on this as well also christians look for and i want to stress this and this is where we'll end too Every government, every authority is not only a a temporary, but Christians are meant to see every authority as temporary because Christians are meant to long for the day when Jesus calls us and institutes his eternal kingdom where Jesus' kingdom... Guys, it's not a democracy and you won't vote. The votes have been cast and God has elected his sovereign king. And so Christians, we're operating as citizens in, in temporary arrangements. So we're meant to long for, to think about, to look for, to pray. You ever think about when you pray, if you just quote the Lord's Prayer? In part, what do we pray? We say, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where is that? On earth, like it is in heaven. And God has promised that a descendant of David would sit on an eternal throne over an eternal kingdom, and that's Jesus. So we are members of that kingdom, and he is our king. And so when we talk about all these other authorities and how we're getting along or not, we do so looking forward to the day when Jesus takes up his throne, and we are citizens of that eternal kingdom. The new heavens and the new earth, that's how the Bible winds down. That's ultimately what we're longing for. The second uh, Roman numeral uh, point there, submission to authority is the norm. What we're talking about today and next week, these are exceptions. But my read, I'm not a prophet, but my read is this, that the culture and the governmental authorities and employer authorities and school authorities are going to make it more and more challenging for Christians to live out their faith in those settings, in those authority structures but we start with the understanding that we're told to submit to the authorities God has placed above us and we'll we'll flesh this out there's numerous authorities everybody lives under so the norm is of course we submit to the authorities until we can't until we shouldn't or until we find that we may choose to do otherwise legitimately before God so these are exceptions we start humbly respectfully saying God's ordained authorities and they're there for our good, and we'll talk about more about the reason for authority again next week. Okay, so now point three is where we'll get into some scripture finally. Thank you, Mike, yes. Okay, the first guideline, and so we'll, we'll cover a couple guidelines today. Big rocks, means by which we say when, when must we not obey an authority or when may we choose not to appropriately before God. The first guideline is this. Uh, when an authority commands us to disobey God, we must disobey that authority. And guys, this is, the, this is the historic norm. If you hear any Christian talk out of the Bible on what the Christian's response to authority is, this is it. That you obey the authority unless that authority tells you to disobey God. There's, there, this is a big, black, dark line. And you see this come up in Acts 4. We'll look at Acts 4 starting at verse 16 in just a second. In Acts 3, Peter and John were going to the temple, and there's this lame guy, and they miraculously heal him. And he gets up, he's jumping around, he draws a crowd. They start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and Jesus' name. And the Jewish leaders hear about this. And this is where we pick up in Acts 4, verse 16. The Jewish leaders speaking among themselves say, what shall we do with these men, with the apostles, Jesus' followers? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. It's like if we could deny it and say it didn't happen, we would, because the truth, has no, the truth is not an issue here. These guys are interested in how do we maintain life as we like it. We're in the driver's seat. We have power. We have prestige. That's what we care about. How do we maintain this? they said but in order that it may spread no further among the people these people these rabble-rousers that follow jesus uh, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in jesus name got Morse code going on or something in the background that's not me. I'm not sending the signals. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go. We'll, we'll talk a little louder. So verse 19, so Peter and John answered. This is what they said. So don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus. That's the order. And guys, these are authorities that are saying this. They're authorities. We'll talk about that in a second. Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So, so don't speak or teach in Jesus' name. So Pete says, God told us, God, you say you support God. God told us to speak and teach in Jesus' name. Mere men say, don't do it. We're going to obey God. Not just we are going to, we must. In fact, they say it emphatically, we can't stop talking in Jesus' name about Jesus. It's a given. Now, the Jewish leaders in that setting, they threaten them and then they let them go. So we we communicated the message, don't speak, don't teach about this guy, now go on about your business. Later in chapter 5, the apostles are arrested, they're imprisoned, But an angel lets them out of prison miraculously that night. They go to release them in the morning to be brought back in before the same group. They say they're not there. Somebody comes in and says, you know, those guys you arrested. Well, they're back in the temple. They're doing exactly what they were doing before that you told them not to. So this is Acts 5, 27 through 29. When they had brought them, the apostles, in, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, Guilt for Jesus, which Peter has already made clear they are guilty of in Acts 2. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must, this is emphatic, we must obey God rather than men. The apostles were then beaten and released and again ordered not to teach in Jesus' name. Now they've said, we will not obey you. We must not obey you because we're under mandate by God to do what we're doing. Now this is important, right? They have to clearly know, to make the argument they're making, they have to know that what they're being commanded to do by the Jewish religious and civil authorities is opposed to what God told them to do. So you remember in Acts 1, in the book of Acts, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And where will you witness? Well, you'll witness in Jerusalem. They have to witness in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses. They must be. And Judea and Samaria and then the rest of the world. So okay, that's, that's pretty clear. But how about Matthew 28, 18 through 20? The way Matthew's gospel winds down. And this is key. So, Matthew's gospel winds down this way. Jesus is speaking to the apostles, the disciples, and he says, he starts this verse this way, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. God in the flesh says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. So now, from the one who has all authority, invest in him, he says, now you, in my name, by my command, you go... You go, you leave Israel. We talked about this already in Acts. You leave and you go and you make disciples of all the nations. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Trinity is affirmed there. And you teach them to command everything I gave you. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. So Jesus says, all authority is mine. This is my mandate for you. You go and you make disciples. And I, the authority that sent you, I'll always be with you. The Spirit came in Acts 2. This verse is still on us today. The one with all authority said, I'm sending you on a mission, and this is it. Make me known. Develop disciples. Teach them in my name. And the Spirit is still with us today. The Spirit of Jesus is with us today. We're still under this mandate. And the apostles understood that's their mandate. So when they were told by the Jewish, the religious authorities, who were also civil authorities, not to do that, they said, the decision's already made up. You've told us to disobey a direct command from God. We can't do it. We must not do it. We're going to keep doing what we've done. So guideline one is the clear historic understanding. Anybody that teaches on this from the Bible says this. Christians must disobey an authority when an authority forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids. When, when uh, following through with the mandate of the delegated authority conflicts with God, the decision's already made. Daniel 1 verse 8, we must obey God. The second guideline, I think the principle is clear, but I do think in our thinking this tends to get a little fuzzier, and so we're going to develop this a bit this morning. Guideline 2 is this. Christians may... And sometimes must disobey an authority when that authority attempts to exercise authority beyond its limited mandate, outside of its jurisdiction. So remember, all sub-authority is limited. Nobody has unlimited authority except God. So if an authority, a person or a government or any entity says you must do something but it's not within the limited sphere that they've been given then we need not obey we're not under compulsion to obey an authority acting outside its sphere so think about this going back a little bit and then we'll give some examples of what this looks like during the early covid crisis regulations enacted by fiat by governors county and health officials as well as mandates established by employers and businesses brought about new questions regarding the relationship between various authorities. Do you guys remember this? Someone that we were told his name was Bill, apparently in the Kansas State Department of Health, was deciding unilaterally what businesses remained open and what businesses would be closed under COVID. An unelected official. When when the questions were asked, who decided what business was essential? Who decided, I can't run my business and make a living, but the guy across the street can? Do you remember? This was in the news. And they said, well, a guy named Bill. Well, who's Bill? We, we still don't know who Bill is. Maybe Bill didn't exist. Maybe somebody else claiming this anonymous Bill did. But you see, an unelected official was illegally closing businesses, was saying to people, you may and you may not. None of this was legal. Sweeping requirements to receive new and untested vaccines along with unprecedented restrictions on normal freedoms required questioning and reviewing the limits of government, health, and business authorities. So that was going on. And guys, I will tell you, on the the churches that filed lawsuit, churches have won every lawsuit I'm aware of nationally against authorities that shut them down. I don't think there's one that's been lost. So you've got that. Government is now seizing power it didn't have before. Individuals within authority structures are saying, you may or may not doing something, and we're saying, who gave you that authority? Where does that authority come from for you to make these decisions? Additionally, the rapid progression in the same time frame of the advancement of homosexuality, transgenderism, critical race theory within public spheres of authority raised questions for Christians regarding how to respond to new mandates within schools, all places of education, and employment. We talk a lot about government because government has the, the most iron fist. But this doesn't end at government. Authority structures, this, the principles apply across the board. A parents now face a new threat to their parental authority as many government schools and school boards have assumed the prerogative of parents to direct their children in regard to morality, sexual activity, gender expression, and medical treatment. Guys, this isn't in the future. This is now. This is history. This has been going on for years here in the States, across the country. Some of these make uh, Virginia has made the news most often about these things. Uh, a particular school district in Virginia in Virginia has been one of the most egregious. Uh, many employers are now making mandates on employees to affirm same-sex unions gender transitioning and homosexuality in order to maintain employment. Now employment's an agreement between a party that the, the authority there's a little different but uh, Google famously fired a guy because he raised moral issues on the internal Google what do we call it a board you know where you communicate with each other I don't know. I, I've never been on my feet a message board. He was fired because even though it was in-house, he wasn't speaking for the company outside, he was fired. He filed lawsuit. I have no idea where that went. But the employer, some of these authority structures are free to make their, their mandates because you choose to comply or not willingly. You choose to be under that authority or not. That governmental agencies, employers, and other institutions have some authority is not in question. This is a given. These entities that exist by God's doing do have authority. So that's not the issue. The issue is what are the limits of their authority? So when when may we choose appropriately not to comply with one of those authorities? Every authority under God has limited jurisdiction according to the sphere. Ultimately, God has placed that authority in. The real question is, where does an individual or group's authority end? Where and when am I free to reject an authority based on that authority's attempt to exceed the sphere of their God-given authority? So, there are a variety of authority uh, structures we will find ourselves in. And I should say, too... If you think about this only as government and adults, you're you're semi-blind because these things are affecting, these things affect people in this church, by the way, and have for the last year or so. They affect people in this church. They affect children in grade school across the country. The things we're talking about today affect people as otherwise that we're not thinking about with governmental policy. These things affect school age children going to school. So this is... This is not out there sometime in the future. This is currently going on all around the country. We're going to focus on key authorities, and specifically we'll draw these out next time. But again, the principles apply. So besides not obeying an authority that commands us to disobey God, we're saying guideline number two is that when an authority is acting outside its uh, permissive authority, the, the authority that has been given, we need not comply so let me give you some examples. Uh, let's, let's talk about Johnny. Uh, Johnny is 16 years old, and he lives in Topeka, Kansas. So think of the, think of the authority structures he's in, one, one person here in Topeka. So Johnny is under the authority of his parents in his family. He's a minor. He lives at home. So he's under the authority of his parents. But he also goes to school. He's not a homeschooler. Sorry guys, he's not a homeschooler. He goes to school. It could be public or private, wouldn't matter. He's under the authority of the school he attends. He's also employed part-time, so he's also under the authority of his employer. He lives in the city of Topeka under municipal authority, in Shawnee County under county authority, in the state of Kansas under state authority, and then ultimately within these United States under federal authority. So one person under multiple levels of authority. Now sometimes you could have, you could be a person living under multiple authorities and two competing authorities could tell you to do opposite things, in which case you would have to say, I must disobey one to obey another. Just from the strata of authorities and the ways they interact, you could say, I can't obey them all, I must disobey one. That would just be practical. But think of this. Think of the limits. Imagine your neighbor, Fred, Fred Jones. I hope there's no Fred Jones in here today. Imagine your neighbor, Fred Jones. He's married and he has kids. And Fred's a nice neighbor, but one day he comes up to you and he tells you how many children you are to have and what names you will give them. Your neighbor, Fred. So, may you choose, may you choose... To comply with Fred's directive. May you choose. You could try. You'd be free to, right? But must you comply with neighbor Fred's mandate on you? Not at all. But why? Because he has no jurisdiction over you or your family. His authority as a husband and a father is limited to his own family. He has no authority to tell your family how to live jurisdictions you're not under his jurisdiction suppose leaders in the local church told everyone in that church that each week they were to eat their sunday lunch at the restaurant owned by the senior pastor's brother whatever could we choose to comply with that could we morally before god could we choose to comply with that and we say well sure you know, if it's a good restaurant and they serve what I want, maybe, maybe I'll do that. But must we comply? No. Why is that? Now, see, I go to that church. Does that church have authority over my life? Absolutely. But in this realm, does the church's authority extend to telling me and my family where to eat and when? No, it doesn't. That's a family authority issue, not a church authority issue. Suppose the Kansas legislature, you can see we're going from little to big. Suppose the Kansas legislature enacted a law that informed every local church who could teach and what they could teach. That's what was true in England in the 1600s. This isn't make-believe, that's historical. How would we respond? Now, could we choose to comply? This one, probably not. I guess we couldn't. I hadn't even thought about it. This isn't a good example. Sorry, we couldn't. Because the, Jesus is the head of his church. The state isn't. So we can't even start there. So bad example. Sorry. But if you were able, you could say, well, yeah, maybe we can. But here's the thing. I hope that like the Puritans and like the pilgrims that settled this country, we would become dissenters. And we would say, we're not, we're not going to follow. You have no jurisdiction in running the church. That's outside your sphere of mandate. what if the federal government might tell the states that their income tax, what they would be, how much they would be, and how they would be spent? Now, the states wouldn't comply, and they'd sue them in federal court, and they'd say, the federal government has no jurisdiction over state income tax. That's a state issue. They would win in court, I hope. These are all examples to show all of us know. There are times when we absolutely would not obey, comply with an authority, not because it's not an authority, but because we recognize that authority can't legitimately tell me or tell my church or tell my family what to do. It doesn't have that authority. It has limited authority, and within its jurisdiction, I'm going to comply. We'll qualify that next week. But but now I say, I don't need to because I, I don't live under the kind of authority you're trying to exert. We know this, but we may not define it. If your neighbor, the first example, if your neighbor came to you and spoke to you like that, you wouldn't even think about it. You'd just say, no way, because you know he has no authority in my life or in my family's life. It's a given, but this applies as a principle across a diverse group of authority structures. Excuse me. When this is the case, we may choose to comply with an authority even when it acts outside its given sphere, but we're not constrained to. We can obey God and honor God without obeying that authority because we, we aren't compelled to in faithfulness to God. So, guideline two, Christians may and sometimes must Disobeying authority when that authority attempts to exercise authority beyond its limited jurisdiction. Uh, my read is along with the Old Testament prophet Daniel, we are living in a version, a modern day version of Babylon, right here in these United States, among a people of a strange language with strange gods, and we do well to consider the temptations that are likely to come upon us in the near future. Kent mentioned last week in his message that quoting God's word is now considered hate speech in more than one quarter of this nation. Quoting God's word. Guys, morality that maybe three decades ago was a given across this country is now anathema to a significant portion of American citizens. Government agencies, schools, and libraries now embrace and promote morality absolutely opposed to God and God's word. This is less an authority thing, but maybe a spread thing. I grew up going to the Topeka Library. From before my memories, I was going to the library. I loved it as a kid. I've loved it since. I love it today. I visit it regularly. Do you know the Topeka Public Library is not safe for your children if they're in the children's book section? Parents, do you know that? It's not safe because they are buying and checking out books with morality to your small children anathema to Scripture, and to God's directives, our library. This is the culture, this is the Babylon of our own day. We need to remember that for all the privilege and freedoms and comforts we've experienced as citizens of these United States historically, and there's certainly still great blessings to be had because of the place we live, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven on temporary assignment on earth. This earth is not and never has been our home we're temporary we need to see life here as temporary it's in order to represent our king's interest in proclaiming the gospel as we've talked about before that is our mission the church is like an embassy we are citizens of a foreign power we have a we have an embassy here where we gather and then we go out to represent the kingdom that has sent us to that embassy that's our mission while Jesus builds his church, that's our spiritual family. That's what we do here on Sunday morning. Until Jesus calls us to himself and this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. That's Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. That is the future. That is the future. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Everything else is tentative and temporary. So we want to hold that view high, and in the meanwhile, we want to think strategically, critically, prayerfully, humbly, practically about the temptations we're likely to face as authority structures in our life make requirements, some of what we must say no to, and others of which we may say no to. Like Daniel, we need to be thinking and praying about this ahead of time. Well, stand with me, please. And Lord, as we uh, quote from your word, we just remind ourselves we need your spirit to give clarity to thought and mind, give us humble, gracious words, help us to be clear on the gospel and on who you've called us to be and what that looks like, what that requires of us, you who are, at the end of the day, the only power and authority above every other. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, read with me, if you would, from, this is from Psalm 2, a great messianic psalm. Now therefore, O kings, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him.